Last week, I uh, read to you the three last parables that Jesus gave to his disciples before um, he was betrayed and crucified. And in fact, we ended with uh, chapter 26 in Matthew, verse 1. We'll read it again. It says this, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, what, those three parables that we read together uh, last week, then he said to his disciples, as you know, as you know, he had already been telling them this stuff. We have gone over this, boys. As you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Now what's amazing is how many times Jesus told them, we're going to Jerusalem. I will be betrayed. They will arrest me. They will kill me. I will die. And on the third day, I will be raised from the dead. And then when it happened, they were completely freaked out. I mean, it wasn't like this might happen someday. It's this will happen in two days. You know, I mean, you can't get more specific than that. And he tells them this, and when it happens, they're like, and completely unglued. Now you wonder, what in the world? But I'll tell you what, it's a fascinating thing. Uh, as a pastor, sharing with people and teaching people, instructing people, it's amazing how often people do not hear what you say. You know, Jesus often said, you know, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Does that mean people, a lot of people don't have ears? No, everybody has ears. Some can't hear, but I mean, most people can. It's, what is it, it's talking about spiritual ears. Can you hear spiritually? Can you hear what I'm saying to you? And apparently, lots of people can't. You know, they come, they listen, they don't, zing, don't quite get it. It's important when you come to church, when you get around the things of God, and make sure that you focus, you know, just don't, in the back or whatever, you know. Pay attention. What's really being saying? What is God saying to me? And don't sit there and giggle, yeah, he's talking about the guy next to me. I'm talking to you, all right? All of us, we need to hear the words of God so we can be challenged in our faith. But it is amazing that he could speak so clearly to them and they not hear what he says. But it happens all the time. Okay, so that's what he told. That's what we ended off last week. Then the very next verse says this. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and to kill him. But they said, well, not during the feast, or there may be a riot among the people. So in, in some respects, they weren't even going to try and do it in the next couple of days. But, uh, but then it goes on and says, now, while Jesus was in Bethany... At the home of a man named, known as Simon the leper. This is interesting. All of a sudden, they're getting ready to do this. And then we have these two pictures real quick. This first one, he's at the home of Simon the leper. And a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, a lot of times, you have to understand, when we read the Bible, we're reading uh, pretty much Middle Eastern culture. That's why some of the things that they do and some of the statements sometimes we kind of go... Seems a little odd to us because we're in a Western culture very far from that. We view things very differently. But, uh, you know, apparently this was something that was okay to do. She pours out this all over his head and he just sat there as she did this. You know, somebody starts pouring perfume in my head. I'm going, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? And you'd think it had just reeked in the place, you know, with the smell and stuff like that. But there, but he, she's doing this and he's letting her do it as he's pouring this. But... It kind of freaked out the disciples. The very next verse, it says, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. All they could see was the money that was being poured out. They said, what what a shame. What a waste. You're pouring out all that money on Jesus. What 
What a waste. Because again, these guys not aware of what was going on. You know, people are always annoyed when they see someone else wasting their lives on Jesus. You know, and I don't know if you've ever gotten this static. The more you get into your faith, people sometimes will people will give you a hard time. You know, it's okay to go to church, but don't get so crazy about it. Don't got to get so excited about it. Don't got to get so crazy. Why do they think you're crazy? Because they don't do it. And most people don't do this. The fact that you're sent here to a lot of people makes you crazy already. Welcome to the crazy club. All right. And why? Because it's just, it's unusual. You know, it's okay, you know, to kind of check in with God once in a while, but don't, you know, don't get too, too excited about it. You know, next two Sundays, this place is going to be packed out to the, it's already pretty packed up. It's going to go nuts because the creasers come out, you know, the Christians will come out on Christmas and Easter. And, uh, you know, they, they go to church twice a year, whether they need it or not. And, uh, you know, when you start doing more than that, you start coming to Sunday and Wednesday night. Well, oh, don't get too excited. You're getting a little crazy. You're a little crazy. Because when you do something that's out of the ordinary, you get people think you're crazy. Uh, <laughs> I was with Jimmy Bratcher yesterday, the blues guy. And uh, we had a great weekend together. He was here playing for the, for the couple seminar that we did. But he told me the story of this church. They were worshiping and singing, and then it got real quiet. It's kind of a, a reflective time in the service. And all of a sudden, the pastor's wife stood up on the front pew and turned around and started screaming at all the people, Go to hell! Oh, y'all, just go to hell! I mean, she just flips out, you know. And they had to drag her down and pull her out. Now, obviously, she was having a very bad day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that would probably put you in the crazy category. I don't know what happened. I, I felt very bad for her, but it was still a pretty funny story. I, I thought, can you imagine being a first-time visitor? <laughs> Aren't they supposed to keep us out of hell? Uh, you know, but... Uh, Pretty wild stuff, you know. But, you know, you start doing something uh, out, of, out of the ordinary. You start, they say you're crazy. And then it's okay to be religious, but don't do too much. It's a waste. People say, well, you're wasting your life. Particularly when you really get serious and you feel like God's calling you to the ministry kind of thing. I mean, you can be very serious and not called call to the ministry. But, I mean, you know, when you're going to start doing this full time. Boy, you know, a lot of us got all kinds of static from family even. You know, what, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to just work for the church. Well, that's a waste. You can do so much with your life. You know, you can make so much money. You know, because to them, that's what's more valuable. But the fact that you would pour energy and time and commitment into the kingdom of God, people often view as a waste. The fact that people, if you go to church on a regular basis, a lot of people think, well, you're wasting your time. It's so nice out. It's so nice. What a waste. You're wasting a great Sunday morning. Let's go. Let's go party. No, I'm going to church. What? You're going to waste this weather? What a waste. Some of you will feel that when it gets nice out, I'll promise you. You're, you're giving how much money to the church? You're doing what? What a waste. You know, just throwing a buck. That's all they need. You know, a dollar looks very small at the grocery store, but it looks huge in church, doesn't it? This is... It's amazing how big a dollar looks in a church. You talk too much about, you know, everything doesn't have to be about Jesus, you know. You're just wasting, 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 wasting. But then the disciples go on and they start justifying their whining. They say, well, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now, um, they were upset because 
first of all, there, there, was, there was a lot of value in this. This lady was blowing a lot of money here. And for all we know, it was, you know, maybe she didn't have a whole lot of money, but just, you know, this incredible way. Why would you do that? Why would you take so many resources and dump them out on Jesus? And then they got religious about it. And, well, you know, we could, have, we could have given this money to the poor. To the poor. Now, one thing that I think is fabulous about this, one of the main tenets of Christianity has always been helping the poor. And, and I got to be honest with you. Let's just be honest. Let's be real. We talk about being real. The reality is churches today really don't do much of that. You know, we raise money for buildings. We raise money for people. We raise money for, you know, nice soft chairs that you're sitting in. We raise money to keep the lights on. We raise money, all kinds of things. But just to raise money to give to poor people? Why would we do that? And I think, quite frankly, it's, it's a weakness that the church has. Um, now, there's sociological reasons for that. It used to be for thousands of years, there were no such thing as social safety nets in culture and in, 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 uh, in cities and nations. And uh, the poor were everywhere. And if it hadn't been for the church stepping up and giving money to the poor and helping them, uh, people would have suffered greatly. But then about 100 years ago, 150 years ago, big changes in social structure and, you know, government started coming out with social programs to help the poor and da-da-da-da-da. And they've done a lot of that. And, and it's not the same today as it was then, granted. I mean, there are people even who are having a hard time that there are social services and stuff. But still, there are people who are hurting and who are suffering and in, in a bad place. And, I, and I've been challenging us as a congregation over the last year about focusing on helping people who are in the greatest of need. And we're taking some steps in that direction. And we're starting to do more. And we will continue to do more. And we've been talking, Pastor Nathan and I have been talking about it. And, uh, you know, maybe talk about maybe even having a, a special offering just to, uh, just to help the poor. Just to give to uh, some of these churches and stuff and organizations that are doing the homeless and stuff like that. We need to. We just need to. It's, it's one, it's, it is a fundamental tenet for a church, like most churches, like ours and all over America, to just go our merry way and hardly ever think about the poor is, is really a big mistake. And remember the, the last parable Jesus gave. On that day, I will say, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. That's all about the poor. I mean, serious stuff. We need to take this serious, and we will continue to talk about this and, and figure out how to do this. Um, I don't know how many of you uh, saw in the paper again this last week, you know, the, uh, the uh, uh, Catholic Diocese uh, at uh, St. Is it St. John's? Is that what it is? Um, decided they're going to go ahead and keep their homeless shelter open. And the city's all having a cow about it. And, and the mayor and the city council, some of the city council, you know, well, well, you, they can't do that. They can't do that. They, you know, we're, we're looking into legal options, you know, to basically try and stop the church. And I just, I talked to the mayor this week. I told him how extremely disappointed I was about the situation. We had a very long talk, you know, and I appreciate him being respectful enough to, to give me a call. And I'll tell you what, he's a nice guy. He's a good guy. He's trying to do the right thing. Uh, I challenge him to step it up, be a leader. Just, you know, if you really believe the churches should do this stuff, man, say that. You know, I said, well, we're trying to wait and see. Yeah, just... I'll just sit around and wait for what the lawyers have to say. I could care less. And I'll tell you what. We need to be alarmed in this country. Liberties are lost when people start sleeping. There's an old adage that says, all that evil needs to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And we're famous for doing nothing. A lot of people have paid an extremely high price 
to give us the freedoms that we enjoy today. And one of the special freedoms in this country and in this culture, which makes us unlike any other country in the world, we put a huge high premium on the freedom of religion. And we give special uh, acknowledgments for the freedom of religion in this country. And I'm telling, I've said this before, the greatest threat to religious liberty in this country is not from extreme groups like the ACLU or the freedom of religion, you know, groups that get all this press. The greatest threat to religious freedom in this country is local governments. And it is and all across the country. City governments are using ordinances and zoning laws and stuff trying to tell churches what they can and cannot do. And I think we need to be alarmed. And we need to start raising our voices. Those will keep surrendering our liberties because it seems so reasonable. And something you need to understand, in communist countries, any communist country around the world, ask them, do you have religious freedom? And they will say, yes, we do. We do, as long as you obey our laws. As long as you obey our ordinances. And of course, their ordinances are so restrictive that you can only meet at certain places, at certain times, under certain restrictions, la, 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 la. They arrest you in these countries, not for being Christians. They arrest you for breaking the ordinances. But at the end of the day, they arrest you for your faith. But they don't call it that. And they use laws and... And at the end of the day, and I'm telling you in this country, one of the reasons why churches all around the country are starting to go to this multi-site concept, which I think in the end is a positive thing. But you know what's driving it? It's driving because these local governments are restricting what the churches can do and how big they can get and their parking problems. And, their, uh, the and I know we need to be good citizens and I understand that, but I'm telling you, they are treating churches like any other business. In fact, they'll even say that. Well, we expect you to buy all the other laws, any other businesses. I'll tell you what, we're not a business. We're not a used car lot. We're not a fast food restaurant. We're not a clothing store. And while we need to be respectful and good citizens of our community, you cannot, we, if we will sit back and let our city governments treat us like any other business, we are making a huge mistake. There are special protections in this country for people of faith. And then someone said to me in the last service, well, they're just Catholics. So I don't care if they're Buddhists. I don't care if they're a bunch of witches dancing around a cauldron. We do not have the right to restrict people's religious liberties in this country. And we keep letting up this stuff, we are going to pay a huge price. And, uh, and I've, I told the mayor that, and uh, I, I talked to the archdiocese uh, this, uh, this week, and told them that we were with them 100%, and anything that we can do to help them, and they appreciated that. And they're going to fight the city big time on this. <clears throat> and I just think, you know, I, we can't use zoning laws and all this other stuff to try and restrict religious liberty. And I know there's complications and this and the blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but at the end of the day, government cannot tell churches what ministries they can or cannot provide. Speaking of one of the ministries that we're doing, trying to help the poor, is trying to get more involved in the Hispanic community, trying to start helping these people and stuff. Uh, for those of you who are involved and interested in that, they are meeting this Tuesday night at 6:30. Uh, uh, so if you want to be involved in that, come on out and learn more about that. You can ask Pastor Dan more questions about this later if you have any questions. So anyway, going on. <clears throat> so Jesus becomes aware of the fact that these guys are all having a cow because this lady dumped all this expensive stuff on him, and Jesus said, "Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me." 
The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured out this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And in defense of this woman, Jesus then says these words, I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And the fact that I'm even telling you this today is a fulfillment of the words of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. We're still talking about this lady. So we get this incredible picture of this lady just totally selling out to Christ. Then the next picture. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. It is amazing when you think of the fact that Judas, for 30 pieces of silver, sold out Jesus. Despite spending time with Jesus, closer than virtually anyone in the world, These 12 guys, he was one of them. Despite seeing incredible miracles, stuff we read about and go, wow. Would you not love to see some of this stuff? Man, I hope they have instant replay in heaven because I want to check some of this stuff out. I mean, there was some cool stuff that was happening. He was there. He saw it. He experienced stuff that you and our wildest dreams, you and I wish we could see. Despite hearing the very words of God coming out of the mouth of God he sells Jesus out now it's easy to sit and judge Jesus and think you know man what was he thinking but as I thought about this I thought you know people frequently sell out Jesus all the time and for less than 30 pieces of silver reminds me of the story of Esau Old Testament story I'll check it out real quick Genesis it says uh when the uh, time uh, came for uh, her to give birth, this is Rebecca, this is Isaac and Rebecca as the parents. Rebecca's going to give birth. Uh, there were two, uh, there were twins in her womb. Well, the first came out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. <laughs> That's one ugly baby, Jack. Uh, so they named him Esau. Uh, and after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. Kind of cute. So, and they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when this happened. Rebecca, uh, when Rebecca gave birth to him, the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. So, Papa loved the oldest one, and Mama loved the younger one. Now, we're talking twins here. We're talking younger within seconds of each other. But in this culture, this was a big deal. Whoever was born first got the, they got everything. They got the inheritance. It was, it was all to them. Being the firstborn was a big deal in this culture. Well, um, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau, the number one kid, comes in from the open country. He's famished. And he says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he's also called Edom. I don't even know what that means, but going on. Jacob replied, first, Jacob says, I'll give you some soup, but first, sell me your birthright. In other words, give me the right to be the first son. And Esau says, 
look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? He was so hungry. Thinking he was going to die. Some of you will feel that next Saturday for a few hours. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So the guy swears an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate it and drank and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. In the New Testament, they talk about it. He said, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Referring back to this Old Testament story. Make sure none of you blow this. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, when it was time for him to come, and uh, poke papa, I get the whole deal and stuff now, it's ready to go, he was rejected. Why? He sold it to his younger brother. And he could bring about no change of mind. He tried. He tried to reason with everybody. No one would listen. Though he sought the blessing with tears. Is it really hard to imagine that Judas sold out to Jesus? Not really. A lot of people do a lot less for the 30 pieces of silver. At least he got some money out of the deal. Esau sells out his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. A lot of people sell out their faith in Christ. To lie, think nothing of it. Steal, nothing of it. Sexual sin, and, and, and you notice they refer to sexual sin in this context. Don't be like Esau. Don't, why? A lot of people sell out their faith for a moment of pleasure. For nothing. For nothing. Other people sell out their faith because they want to be accepted by others. It's kind of cool. They, they come to hear about Jesus. They, they love the environment of the Christian community. This is great. This is great. And people start criticizing. They say, man, you're, you're an idiot. I don't, you're turning into a freak. Oh, we don't want to spend any time with you. And, and they go, oh, oh, okay. Oh, no, no, no. no. I still, I still want to be your friends. And, and for the mere acceptance of others, they sell Jesus out. At least Judas got 30 pieces of silver. I promise you people sell out Jesus all the time. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward and musicians get ready to serve us communion this morning. What about you? Are you living a life that is sold out to Jesus? Putting him first in your life, willingly pouring out your valuable energies, your passions, your talents, your resources on him? Or have you fallen into the trap of Esau selling out your faith for less than even Judas? For the apparent safety, approval, or pleasures of this world. Are you selling out to Jesus or are you selling Jesus out? We're getting ready to take communion here. And this is the time when we reflect on what Christianity is all about. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus came here for a very specific reason. Told his disciples why he was here. Though they didn't hear him. Nobody heard him. This wasn't a surprise to him. He knew exactly what he was doing. Knew exactly what was going to happen. Yet he did it willingly. And without complaint. Why? He knew that he was going to be the Lamb of God. Who would take away the sins of the world. He was going to be the ultimate sacrifice. He would take the punishment that you and I deserve. Jesus willingly took what he did not deserve. So we can get what we don't deserve. Which is forgiveness of our sins. Let me challenge you this morning as Jesus did to those who followed him.
he'd tell him, man, pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. And they would make that decision, say, you know what I'm going to? I'm going to turn from what I've been doing and I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Have you made that decision in your life? Are you willing to sell out, to pour out your life for Jesus? Or are you going to sell Jesus out for some temporary situation? If you're here this morning and you've never even taken that basic first step of putting your faith in Christ, if you're willing to turn from what you know is wrong in your life and put your trust in Him, you can experience this wonderful thing called faith. You can experience this wonderful thing called forgiveness of sins this morning if you'll put your trust in Him. I'd like all of you, all of us to bow our heads in a word of prayer. And I'm going to encourage everybody to repeat this prayer with me. And if you'll mean this from the bottom of your heart, you can take your steps of faith and ask Christ to come into your life. Let's pray this together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you loved me so much. You went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.